Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. First of all, I do know Jeff in terms of the the person, and I think this guy was a great, great football player, and I, I think he... Um, he knows the game really, really well. I would assume, uh, again, I'm not in their building, so I don't really know, but I would assume that they're going to let the coaches that have been there coach, you know, and the scheme isn't going to dramatically change on offense, defense, or in the kicking game. Um, and we talked this morning, they're going to be ready to go because uh, Jeff will have them ready to go. You know, he's a football player at heart. Uh, he's a football person at heart, and he knows what goes into winning and losing. You know, he was a tough player when he played. Uh, they're a tough football team. Uh, they're all about field position and trying to take care of the football, trying to create turnovers on defense. Uh, so we're going to be we're going to be ready to go. I know he'll have them ready to go, and I don't expect that the scheme will dramatically shift. Josh McDaniels, coach of the Las Vegas Raiders, he won't be the coach on Monday if he loses to Saturday on Sunday. Been trying that one out, but it's true. I think. I, hey, this experiment in Las Vegas hasn't been working with a guy who was a coach a decade ago, goes back and becomes a great offensive coordinator. This may be just another North Turner, Wade Phillips, great coordinator, great enough to keep getting opportunities to be a head coach, but not good enough to be a head coach. Now comes the even more ridiculous experiment of plucking a guy out of the wilderness who hasn't played in more than a decade, who was a high school coach for three years and went 20 and 16, doesn't scream out Vincent Lombardi, and you drop him in after the owner badmouths all NFL coaches by saying they're afraid of their own shadow. And now they got to throw it all together in five days from the day that this all went down. It's amazing to me, six days technically. They've got to do it all on the fly and who's calling plays and how are we going to get the players comfortable to what's happened? Frank Reich's gone. And this guy, they don't even know is in. If it works, the, the, I love chaos. And if this Jeff Saturday thing works, it unlocks a new universe of potential coaches of teams. You don't have to be on a staff. You don't have to be a coach. Just get some former player to come in and be the coach of the team. And Hey, if it works with Jeff Saturday, it can work with anyone. 
Yeah, it's interesting, Mike, and I'm with you. This is a game that it's almost like watching a NASCAR race, right? You wait for the wreck. Like, I want to watch this game just to see if there's a train wreck during the game, to, to see what's going to go wrong possibly for the Colts uh, in this game. You know, the Raiders are terrible on defense. Um, they're giving up 25.1 points per game. That's 28th in the NFL. But they're playing the team that's last in the NFL in scoring at 14.7 points per game. So, yeah, I'm with you. If the Raiders go out there and, and give up their average 25 points and lose this game, I think Josh McDaniels could be in trouble come Monday. This is a game that the Raiders should win, and they should win easily. It shouldn't be a contest. They should get up by 17, and guess what? They should hold that lead, something they haven't been able to do this year and lost three games when they've led by 17 or more points. But I think in this game, Mike, you have to be able to hold that lead. Raiders now favored by four and a half. It was six. So uh, there are some folks out there who believe in Jeff Saturday and company. Sam Ellinger is getting his third start with his third different offensive coordinator. Parks Frazier, 30 years old, who three years ago was the assistant to the head coach. And as Sim said, was basically getting his dry cleaning and his coffee is now calling the plays for the Indianapolis Colts in part because Scott Milanovic decided to pass on the opportunity to do so. He's the quarterback's coach. And, you know, one more point before we move on to the next game, this idea of Matt Ryan playing again, when Frank Reich made the announcement two plus weeks ago, he said, Sam Ellinger is a starter for the rest of the season. And it was obvious that this was a business decision because if Matt Ryan can't pass a physical by the middle of March, he's got 17 million more fully guaranteed on top of the 12 million or so he's got fully guaranteed for next year. Now you got Ursay pushing back. Well, that was never the case. And whoever gets the best chance to win, and it'll be something if Matt Ryan plays again after the last coach of the team said Sam Ellinger is the starter for the rest of the year. But with the Colts right now, given what Jim Ursay is doing, all bets are off. And it's entertaining. We get to see three of the final eight games standalone. Two on Monday night, one on Sunday night in, in Dallas or Arlington against your Cowboys. And that ain't getting flexed because it's the Cowboys. Yeah. No, we're, we're going to see the Colts. And we're going to get to see this train wreck and, and see what happens with Jeff Saturday. And maybe it's not a train wreck. Like you said, maybe if it works out, this is a whole new thing that teams go to. And Jeff Saturday gets that job uh, after a Rooney Rule search that we know won't really be a Rooney Rule search if they finish out well. But, you know, you look at the Raiders had a similar situation last year with Rich Bisaccia came in, and this is about the point when they turned it around and ended up making the postseason, and you look at them, maybe they should have kept Rich Bisaccia. Maybe they would have been in better shape right now than, than where they are because, I, to me, this is the most disappointing team in the NFL. I thought they were going to win that division. I thought they were going to be better than Kansas City. They're not, and, and they're not the worst team in that division. I still think it's the Broncos, but they have the worst record in that division and they don't look like a real NFL team. They just don't look very good. And you can't blame that all on injuries, Mike. You can't say, well, we haven't had Darren Waller for most of the year, and now he and Hunter Renfro and on IR. Big deal. Go out and win games anyway. You have enough talent there to do that. Prediction, Jeff Saturday will be the coach of the Colts in 2023. And I hope that all other candidates who are approached to interview say no thank you. Because I, I can already feel the Jim Irsay wants Saturday to be the coach beyond this year. Broncos coming out of their bye at 3-5, and five, taking on the Titans 5-3, and three, trying to get their 
their balance back after losing a game they could have and should have won in Kansas City. Ryan Tannehill fully participated in practice on Thursday. He's expected to be back. But this is still about that Broncos offense. How much better do we really expect it to be after the the bye? And, and, you know, does Russell Wilson get any motivation out of this wristband talk, which has kind of made him – Thanks to Pete Carroll and the way he framed it has made Wilson look a little stubborn and petulant, refusing to wear a wristband in a way that may have helped streamline the offense in Seattle and could streamline it in Denver as well. But here's the funny thing. He wore the wristband in the last game for the Broncos, Mike, and and, and they did well. He passed for 252 yards and a, and a touchdown. So maybe he needs to wear that thing all the time because he's played well, apparently, when, when he's worn that thing but yeah he wouldn't wear it in Seattle and and now it's being made a big deal of it so what are you going to do when he goes out there on Sunday you're going to look to see if he has a wristband on he's worn it in a handful of games uh, and probably should wear it more and there's nothing bad about wearing it and I don't know if he thinks maybe there is but the fact that he doesn't wear it all the time proves that there is Some push and pull. There's some tension. He doesn't want to do it. There's this outdated mindset that it makes you look stupid if you you have it on. Donovan McNabb with Washington, with Mike and Kyle Shanahan, didn't want to wear it. That was a story for a while. Hey, Tom Brady has one and has had one forever. And Sims explained this yesterday. Very very simple reason for it. When you have these long play calls – If the coach simply has to say 27 instead of saying the whole play, you get things moving faster. And what's been the problem with the Broncos this year? They don't move things fast enough. So once Nathaniel Hackett picks a play, all he's got to say is 27. And Russell finds number 27, and he says it instead of Hackett saying the whole play call and then Russell Wilson repeating the whole play call, you streamline the operation. So it's amazing this has become a thing, but thanks to Pete Carroll, who made that little comment the other day. There was resistance. That's all he had to say. The media did the rest, and uh, we'll see what happens. The other thing, too, about this game, I'm stunned the Titans are only favored by 2.5. I was stunned last week that the Titans were 12.5-point underdogs. Why is there no respect in Vegas for the Tennessee Titans uh, or among the betting public that would put the money on the Titans and drive the betting line in their favor. It really is weird to me that the Titans don't get more respect. Let's move on to the Cardinals and the Rams. Three and six, Arizona, three and five, L.A. Matthew Stafford in the concussion protocol for something that we still don't know what it was. We don't know if he'll be back. They have Bryce Perkins and John Wolford. Wolford is technically the number two, but with Sean McVay, who knows what he'll do if he can't get Stafford on the field. Can the Rams win? If they don't have Stafford, Shereen? Well, you know, they did that with John Wolford uh, once before when they needed to win the game, and, and they did that. Th- these teams, Mike, are a lot different. You think back to last year that met in the wild card round of the postseason. They don't look anything like themselves. Rams now have lost four or five. I think they have a shot just because I haven't seen anything out of the Cardinals that tells me that they're a contender, that that you can count on them week in and week out to, to win a game. And you know what? If Kyler Murray's hamstring doesn't allow him to run, he's a completely different quarterback if he has to sit in the in the pocket and make plays out of the pocket. So, yeah, I, I give the Rams a chance in this one. I, it's not a game that I'm particularly looking forward to, something because neither team has shown me much this year to say – they can get this thing turned around and, and have a chance to win that division. When you take away Kyler Murray's mobility, 
he looks like he shrinks from 5'10 to 4'10. I mean, that, that game against the Rams where I think his ankle was still bothering him, he couldn't do anything. So no matter what the Rams are doing offensively or not doing offensively, whether it's Stafford or Wolford or Perkins at quarterback, the, the Rams defense may just put the clamps. And, and maybe that, you know, the Jalen Ramsey comments that he made the other day, maybe the Rams defense is just realizing if we're going to do anything this year, it has to originate with us and they'll have an easier day of it with Kyler Murray limited uh, in his ability to run. Let's take a break. Peter King will be joining us live from Munich in advance of the first ever regular season game in Germany between the Seahawks and the Bucks. We'll do that next here on PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. We'll miss you next week, but I guess you're going to pop on at some point from Germany. I think I'm going to pop on and have a gigantic beer on the show. I'm at the Hofbrau house, and I am not going to make it to the show tomorrow. Sorry. (laughs) I love it. Football morning in Deutschland. That's what you need to call him on Monday. Here he is from Deutschland. Munich. Seahawks and Bucks play on Sunday, and Peter is on the scene. Hello, Peter. Mike Shireen, how are you? It's really fun here so far. Tiring, but fun. So give us an idea. Set the scene. How, how is Germany receiving the NFL for the first time ever in a game that counts? Well, to give you some idea, Mike, uh, let's look at the front page of the biggest newspaper in Munich this morning. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that it means football fever. <laughs> I'm not positive, but here's what Germans woke up to this morning with Tom Brady staring at him. And look, I think what is happening in this country, Mike, is Jim Tom Sula, the former 49ers coach, he coaches a European League football team in Dusseldorf in Germany. And he was telling me people are going to cry about this game. That's how long they've been waiting for the NFL to play here. And not just the NFL, but, you know, Tom Brady is coming here. And I think that there is a vision of Brady as sort of, you know, a mythic figure to so many people who love football in Germany. As somebody uh, told me here that, you know, it's like when the Beatles came to America, Brady coming to Germany. So there's that. But the other thing that you see around the city, Mike, is all a bunch of pop-up shops, uh, you know, with a lot of gear about all these teams. There's a, there's a plaza here that has every football helmet, uh, every football team's helmet, all 32 teams. And you just see a bunch of people walking around with Seahawks stuff. And, and uh, yeah, here it is. It's just, it's, it's everywhere. And last night at that Hofbrau house, it was so insane. All the NFL network people were over there and Steve Mariucci was dressed uh, as a whatever, as a German guy from the country. 
you know, with the shorts on and the suspenders and the white shirt and the funny fedora. So he's gotten in the act too. So it's just, it's a fun scene. And for people who really have never seen a real football game here, I think there's great anticipation for it. Peter, what is the Germans' knowledge of football? Do, do they understand the game? I mean, we see a lot of those London games, people wearing the different jerseys and everything of different teams, but sometimes they'll be screaming and yelling for punts, you know, which you wouldn't do in the United States. What's their knowledge of the game? I think really it's quite good. Shireen, if you, if you think back two generations to when the World League of American Football formed, and by the way, the Seahawks are practicing right behind me. I'm at the Bayern München training grounds uh, in in uh, just a neighborhood in Munich. And the Seahawks have just started their Friday practice. But I think because all of the people in Germany have been used to seeing American football for the last 33 years, and they've had whether it be the world league or now it's called, I think the European football league. Uh, there are teams all over this country. Flag football has gotten really big. So I think you're going to see them. And again, who knows who comes to this game? Shereen, a lot of times at the Super Bowl, you don't hear the same kind of stuff that you'd normally hear at a regular game because it's so, you know, there's so many people who paid a lot of money to get the tickets and to see this game. So I'm not sure what is going to manifest itself, uh, you know, in this game on Sunday, but they do know their football. Peter, when this game was announced, Seahawks, Buccaneers, Tom Brady either had unretired or was about to, and Russell Wilson was gone. And, you know, it had a vibe like this is a Buccaneers romp. This is the Globetrotters against the Washington Generals, although yeah. the tables are turning now. The Seahawks are the better team. Um, what What's your read on this one, though, when you consider it's been plucked out of the United States and dropped in a setting that's going to feel like a Super Bowl, which probably gives Tom Brady a little bit of an edge because he knows a thing or two about playing in that type of an atmosphere? Yeah, I think, Mike, that what's so interesting about the game itself is the reason that the NFL stopped playing preseason games overseas and decided to play only regular season games overseas is because what you're going to see on Sunday, this game is hugely important. First of all, the Seattle to try to stay on top, you know, of a very competitive NFC West. And then for the bucks, you know, the, as crazy as it sounds, the division is there for them to grab. And so here's the problem, you know, <laughs> I don't even think it's a problem. But here's the situation. You have a bunch of fans who are coming to a game that is vitally important for both teams. And I think that'll just add to the fun and the competitiveness of it. Peter, I've covered a couple of these international games. Mexico City, I did the first one there between the Cardinals. Uh, and I can't even remember who they played now at the time. Maybe the Rams. Oh, it was, uh, yeah. And then I did the game in London between the Cowboys and Jaguars. And they all seem to have a different feel to them when you're over there. Bigger than a regular season game, more like a playoff yeah. game. I don't know, quite to the level of a Super Bowl. 
Do you get that sense? How many of these international games have you covered? And do you get that sense that this game is going to be the same? It's going to be have more of a playoff feel than a regular season feel. I, you know, Shireen, you're absolutely right. Pete Carroll yesterday, when I was talking to him, um, he, he said, you know what? It really has the feel of a college bowl game. Um, more important than a regular season game for sure. And with the pageantry and all the stuff, he, he, you know, I think the way that Carol described it, like he told me, he said this, and he said it, you know, he was very serious about it. You know, he said it's an honor to play in this game, to introduce, you know, a regular season game, a real NFL game to the people who are so rabid about this sport to Germans for the first time. And, you know, I, I find it very interesting that the Seahawks had to travel nine hours and 42 minutes on an airplane, you know, 5,200 miles in the middle of a season after playing a road game on Sunday in Arizona. And so they come home and then they're practically just getting ready to play this game. But I can tell, I've known Pete Carroll for a long time. He can be a little bit off the record and he can give you the little smirk or the little eyebrow raise. None of that yesterday. He is genuinely excited and happy to be in this game to sort of preach the gospel of American football to people in Germany. One reason he's happy now is that things have worked out pretty well for him and the Seahawks post-Russell Wilson. They trade him to the Broncos. They go with Geno Smith, who has been phenomenal. We've been talking about, is he comeback player of the year? Is he possibly MVP? He's something. He deserves some piece of, of hardware for what he's doing this year. What, what's your take on why Geno Smith has been so good this season? Mike, I asked him about it a couple of weeks ago, and I thought he said it absolutely perfectly. Those eight years that he mostly didn't play, he didn't punch the clock. Every year with every coach, with every quarterback who was in front of him, like, you know, he was telling me stories of what he learned from Eli Manning and what he has learned from every quarterback who played above him, like, you know, texting with Russell Wilson at five o'clock in the morning and just getting ready to go. Hey, it's a championship day. Let's go and treating every day like he was a player, not like he was a backup. And that to me, you know what, Mike, and I I said this to him, I said, you know, you're going to be a great beacon for all players who sit on the bench for a long time. And doesn't it just sound ridiculous when you think about it? Just think about this, Mike. It sounds a little ridiculous when in the middle of his second year, people are talking about Zach Wilson as a bust. And they're wondering, geez, what's wrong with Trevor Lawrence? Well, it takes a while (laughs) to learn this position. And the other thing about Geno Smith, and he said this to me, Mike, you'll probably remember this. Obviously, a decade ago, when Geno Smith was the quarterback at West Virginia, you look back, he was very accurate. He was a 70, estimated like 70% passer at West Virginia. So now when he leads the NFL sort of at midseason in all these categories, and he's been so accurate, that is not even remotely a surprise to him. And one other thing, I do think that there is something to Geno Smith essentially running Shane Waldron's offense. You know, he's not one of these guys who changes a lot of stuff. He believes in the offense. He told me 
it's a lot like the offense I played in West Virginia. There's a lot on the quarterback in terms of decision-making and mobility and being able to throw on the run. And, and the one, one last thing I would say, and I know this gets into the whole Russell Wilson thing. I think this goes back to Tom Brady and Drew Bledsoe. Why late in 2001 did Bill Belichick with a healthy Drew Bledsoe stay with Tom Brady? Because Tom Brady ran the offense that the Patriots practiced all week. And he didn't change a lot of things at the line. He didn't. And look, Drew Bledsoe wasn't doing it to be obnoxious. He was doing it because he thought these plays, changing the plays, gave him the best chance. And I think Belichick wanted a quarterback who said, we're going to run what we practiced all week. It's the exact same thing that Geno Smith does with the Shane Waldron offense. It's been really fun to watch Geno Smith, and he looks like he's had a lot of fun this season. Uh, Peter, but on the other side, it doesn't look like Tom Brady to me has had a whole lot of fun this season. I mean, he just looks dour and yelling at his offensive line and doing all those things. But he had the one drive at the end of that game last week, and he went in the press conference, and that's the first time this season I think I've seen him where he looked like he was having fun. Can one drive, one victory turn a team around, and do you see that with the Buccaneers and Tom Brady? You know, Shireen, I don't. I just think Tom Brady, look, and Kate Otten, the guy, the tight end who caught the first long seam route, he dove for it uh, up the left seam for 28 yards. And then obviously he caught the little flare out to the right uh, for the winning touchdown pass in that game. It would be one thing if he had six Kate Ottens. But he doesn't. He's got Leonard Fournette, who's been really disappointing. He's got an offensive line that makes him throw the ball fast on almost every drawback. People are saying, well, you know, Brady's not getting hit. He's not taking any punishment. He's throwing the ball faster than probably he ever has in his career. He's not able to let plays develop because of, you know, the, the line is just not giving him enough time. And Shereen, I, I agree with you. Until after the game on Sunday, Brady looked pretty miserable a lot this year. But I also think, look, none of us know what is going on deep down inside in his brain. But I cannot imagine that his divorce is a non-factor in this. You know, you people take their private lives to work all the time in all aspects of life and in business. And this has got to be a tumultuous, very emotional year for him. Uh, And so I think those combinations of factors really are a big part of why what has happened to him is happening. Peter, before we let you go, I I have to know, because you've been covering the NFL for nearly 40 years now. You've been aware of it for years beyond that. You've seen a lot of things. This move on Monday that the Colts made, to fire Frank Reich and pluck Jeff Saturday out of nowhere to be the head coach. Where does it rank among nutty in-season decisions made by a team? Not some external thing that was forced on a team, but but a self-inflicted or self-originating decision this crazy. Where does it rank? You know, I was thinking of it, Mike. You know, I remember when... The, the Baltimore Colts moved to Indianapolis in March in a snowstorm in March of 1984. And I said, well, this has to be the craziest 
thing that's happened in season to them. But then Stephen Holder uh, was on my podcast this week, a longtime Colts beat writer, and he said, well, wait a second. Andrew Luck retired after a preseason game at, at 10 o'clock at night. <laughs> you know, he shocked the world. And so that that has to be part of it. But Mike, just in terms of absolutely unexpected slaps in the face, that's got to be a top five weird thing that has ever happened, you know, in an in-season move by a team, at least that I've seen. And the more I've talked to people about it, especially people in Indianapolis, people who know Jeff Saturday, I think they get the very, very strong impression that obviously Jim Irsay is impulsive. And he was just really tired of what he was seeing. And look, Mike, we've, we've talked about this, and I've talked about this with a lot of people. For Jim Irsay, who's not independently wealthy, he gets his wealth from this team. And, and of course, he's got a lot of money. But this isn't like the owners of the Broncos or the Panthers, where they have billions. Okay, Jim Irsay basically had to say, I'm so upset about what I'm seeing with my team that I'm going to eat $30 million in Frank Reich's contract or whatever it is, you know, however much he's owed. But he's owed for four and a half years. You know, he's got to be making six or seven million minimum. And so and so that to me is part of the shock of this to me that Jim Irsay chooses to eat that money. But hey. Jeff Saturday, he he came out swinging though yesterday, didn't he? And he basically said, "I'm not afraid. I'm going to give this all I got. And if at the end of the year I stink and we don't win any games, I'll move on." But don't you get the feeling, Mike? Don't you get the feeling that Jimmer say it's all Jeff Saturday is going to have to be almost a debacle to not get this job? I I think I think Jimmer say wants him to succeed. And whatever the goalposts are, it's not that Jim Irsay is going to move the goalposts if they're one and seven or whatever, however many games they have left. But I do think he really wants Jeff Saturday to be the head coach of this team in 24, 23 and beyond. I agree with you 100%. He's going to find whatever silver lining he can, and that'll be the justification yeah. for hiring Jeff Saturday, and I think it's going to happen. Peter, thank you so much for some of your time. Enjoy your time in Germany. Safe travels, and we'll see you next Friday. Okay, Mike, all the best. Bye, Shireen. Bye, there he is, Peter. Peter King. More PFT Live presented by Google Pixel right after this. <laughs> District of Columbia Attorney General Carl Racine had a press conference on Thursday to announce that he's filed a lawsuit not only against Daniel Snyder and the Commanders, but also the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell. Here's a little of what Racine had to say to reporters in announcing the civil consumer protection lawsuit that has been filed. We're here today to talk about the Washington Commanders. For years, the team and its owner have caused very real and very serious harm and then lied about it to dodge accountability and to continue to rake in profits. So far, they seem to have gotten away with it, but that stops today. Today, we're filing a consumer protection lawsuit, a civil lawsuit against Dan Snyder, the Washington Commanders, the National Football League, 
and the NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell for colluding to deceive residents of the District of Columbia about their investigation into a toxic workplace culture that impacted employees, especially women. All of that deception was done to protect their profits and their image. This is a very creative and aggressive effort by Carl Racine and his staff. It's not a criminal case. It's a civil case. It arises under the authority that is vested in them by the D.C. laws to pursue consumer protection rights. And the argument basically is this. By taking the Beth Wilkinson investigation that was conducted into years of misconduct in the workplace with the Washington commanders and brushing it all under the rug and covering it all up and hiding the facts from the consumers of D.C. who are passionate fans and devote time and money and attention to the local NFL team, that that rises to the level of some sort of an infraction that justifies monetary damages, which probably wouldn't be much. But ultimately what Racine wants to do is force everything that Beth Wilkinson found into the public eye. This is an effort to use the legal system, Shireen, to force the NFL to release the report. That's what it is. Whether it's successful or not, we'll see. But that's what he's trying to do. I have so many questions for you on this, Mike, but I'll start with the fact that if the NFL had requested Beth Wilkinson to provide a written report and release that publicly, they wouldn't be where they are right now, but they are here. I guess my first question to you, and I was talking to somebody, a guy came up to me in the gym, knew who I was randomly, but he said, you know what, whenever there's something legal that happens in the NFL, I quickly click on to PFT because I want to know what Mike Florio thinks about this. And it's true. You're, you're the best at this type of situation. My first question is Washington, the commanders are not based in DC. They don't play in DC. Their training facility is not in DC. Do they have a, a chance to get this dismissed because they aren't in DC? Well, and, and that's one of the threshold legal questions that gets raised any time a case gets filed. There are potential defenses unrelated to the actual merits of the claim, whether or not the person has a case based on the facts. Standing is one of the arguments that gets made. Does the D.C. attorney general have standing to sue the Washington commanders in D.C.? because they don't do business there. The argument is they cater to the consumers in D.C. People who live in D.C. go to the games, watch the games on TV, spend money, time, and effort on the team. That's going to be the argument. And whether or not the court system allows it to proceed or not, that'll be determined by whichever judge handles the case. But this is what makes the commander's response to the lawsuit so compelling to me, even though this won't be binding in court, although if I was Carl Racine, I would use it against them in every court filing that I make. Consider what the commander said. Over two years ago, Dan and Tanya Snyder acknowledged that an unacceptable workplace culture had existed within their organization for several years, and they have apologized many times for allowing that to happen. We agree with Attorney General Racine on one thing. The public needs to know the truth. 
Although the lawsuit repeats a lot of innuendo, half-truths, and lies, we welcome this opportunity to defend the organization for the first time in a court of law and to establish once and for all what is fact and what is fiction. Shereen, the thing that screamed off the page to me when I saw that is they're ready to go on the merits. They don't want to hide behind standing or any other procedural defense that would further the argument that you're making, which is a good argument. What business does anyone in D.C. have when it comes to complaining about anything, a business that isn't even in D.C.? It's named for it, but it isn't there, has done. They've, they've basically dropped that by saying, we welcome the opportunity to separate fact from fiction, and the public needs to know the truth. Hey, if the public needs to know the truth, release the damn report. Then we'll know the truth. That's what this lawsuit is trying to do. Scratch out the names of the people who want to remain anonymous, make up names, Jane Doe, John Doe, this Doe, that Doe, and here's the report. That They should have done that from the beginning. But they hit it because they wanted to protect Snyder. They want to protect the other owners against a similar situation, and they brushed it all under the rug. So I was stunned by the commander's response because – even though it's not a legal and technical and binding waiver of their right to these other defenses, they're basically saying, we don't care about those other defenses. We're ready to go defend this case based upon the merits of the allegations being made. In which case, then you wouldn't file for a dismissal. You would want to go to court and if that's truly how you feel. I think the commanders this week, Mike, are going to set a record for the most statements issued. They actually issued one arm of the organization issued a statement and the other arm issued another statement diffusing what the first statement said. So they may yet set a record on, on statements uh, this week. Here's my other question for you, Mike. This obviously, I think, is bad for the NFL. It's bad for the commanders. It's bad for Dan Snyder. And by the way, this could factor into a sale, something that they're going to have to take into account because Racine says it's not going to matter if Snyder sells the team. We're going forward with this thing. Who is this worse for? I think it's worse for the league because if they go all the way to the bottom of the rabbit hole and get emails and they take discovery and they question people under oath and they find out why, like what was the decision-making process that resulted in this? If they can get to the truth and as they always say, a cover-up is worse than the crime. That was first really brought to light with Watergate in D.C. There could be a way that the facts unravel in a manner that makes the NFL look really, really bad for how it handled this. And that there was an affirmative effort potentially to hide and conceal as a way not to protect Dan Snyder, but to protect the other owners from having a precedent like this used against them. So, you know, Snyder's, all, I, Snyder's already going to sell the team. The end result of the Wilkinson investigation, the recommendation that was never put in writing because they asked her not to or didn't ask her to was she would have said in writing he should be forced to sell the team. So you can't do anything worse to Snyder. The NFL is the one that's got to worry about this. All right, we got to worry about time. We're going to take a break. When we return, show me something. Our Friday draft in season as we get ready for week 10 of the 2022 NFL regular season. We'll be back with that right after this. We do it every Friday as the games approach the Show Me Something draft. It can be whatever 
we want it to be. The rules are there are no rules. We want to see someone perform. We're rooting for them or they're under pressure. Something good, something bad, whatever it is, why ever it is, if that's even a word, and it probably isn't. Shireen, who do you want to show you something on Sunday of week 10? I want to see something from Parks Frazier. He gets his first chance, and I admit, Mike, I had no idea who this guy was when they named him as their play caller for this week. He was really unknown. Passing game specialist and assistant quarterbacks coach until this week, and it took a couple firings for that to happen. He's only 30 years old and now getting a chance to call plays. He learned at the hands of Frank Reich. He spent four-plus seasons under Reich. Reich officiated his wedding, so – uh, he knows the, the offense really, really well. His first time calling plays at any level, uh, and he still has Sam Ellinger at quarterback, so I don't know if I, I like his chances, but we'll see what he can do. Uh, he's going to get his chance to call plays, and you know what? If he succeeds at it, it's kind of like Jeff Saturday. He's, he's auditioning the rest of the season, not just to have a job with the Colts next year, but to have a job somewhere else next year as well if this doesn't work out with the Colts. It really is an amazing wrinkle to this whole experiment. And the only reason I knew Parks Frazier's name, there was an incident at his house in 2019 where eight gunmen shot 80-plus bullets into the house. They never solved it. Apparently, it was like they had the wrong house. What a mistake to make if you're the one in there. But no one was inside. No one was harmed. But that's the only time I'd ever heard his name. And now we're going to be hearing his name a lot as this thing goes forward. Show me something Aaron Rodgers. Every week I feel like I say, this is it. This is it. This is the time. If you're ever going to turn it around, it's now. And this is the highest profile game we're going to see from him, other than maybe Christmas Day, the captive audience game at Miami. The thumb has been an issue. His throwing has been off. He can't blame anyone for what happened on Sunday. Those bad throws, those three interceptions, at least two of them were squarely on him. He's pressing a little bit. He's frustrated. He was asked a question last week about whether or not they can turn it around, and he took 13 seconds before he even began his response. This is it. This is time. And just because Tom Brady is playing well into his mid-40s, not as well as he was last year, but he's still playing well, these other quarterbacks think they can go as long as they want, and it could be that the gas is running out of the tank for Aaron Rodgers before he even gets to 40, Shireen. Show me something, Aaron Rodgers, because, again, as I say every week, it's now or never, and it keeps coming up never. Well, I don't know if it's now or never for Tom Brady since that four and five, they lead that division. But as I asked Peter, Mike, I just think that he finally had some fun in this season last week. So is he going to continue that or is this going to be a bad loss for them? And they're sitting there at four and six, still tied atop the division, but knowing that this isn't going to be their season, even if they make the playoffs, they have a chance now to prove something against the Seattle Seahawks. I know, as Peter said, he hasn't had much time. That offensive line is absolutely terrible. Luke Godkey got left at home. He's not going to have Russell Gage this week. But there is enough there to make some plays to beat the Seahawks if they play like they need to play this week. And by the way, he's on course to set an NFL record for most consecutive passes without an interception. He's at 373. Aaron Rodgers owns the record at 402 in 2018. Just a week after Tom Brady got over 100,000 total career yards, the first person to ever do that, maybe the only person for a very long time. Show me something Pittsburgh Steelers 
offense. I was thinking Kenny Pickett, Najee Harris. I don't know. Chase Claypool's gone, and there's some indications he was kind of a distraction and a problem behind the scenes, didn't like the fact they drafted George Pickens, wanted to be showcased more, wanted to prove that, as he believes, he's one of the best three receivers in football. So he's gone. Kenny Pickett's had two weeks to get ready for this game, a visit from the Saints who are operating on a short week. Najee Harris, there's some heat on him. He dances too much, doesn't hit the hole. He's averaging 3.3 yards per carry. Jalen Warren, the undrafted rookie, is at 5.3. So there's pressure across the board on the Steelers' offense. There's no talk of tanking, not that they would ever say it out loud. The Steelers want to win as many games as they can. The offense is going to have to get it done if the Steelers have a chance of getting to 3-6 and six with a win over the currently 3-6 and six Saints. We'll take a break when we return. Round 3 of the Show Me Something draft for Week 10. More PFT Live right after this. Show me something draft for week 10, 2022 regular season. There are the first two rounds. We're on to round three. Chris, uh, Shereen, what do you got? Oh, Chris. Wow. It's Friday Sorry. and you even said Chris. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> well, I know. Force of habit. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with Brandon Cooks. Uh, he talks a big game. He said yesterday that he's all about winning. If you're all about winning, you don't hold out of practice and not play uh, in a game, which he did last week against the Eagles. So he has a chance to show something. I think he's going to come back. He returned to practice yesterday. Wasn't traded before November 1st, as as we know, but he still has that $18 million guaranteed next season. This is an audition for him to prove, Mike, that he can be a number one receiver somewhere, whether it's Houston or somewhere else. And Texans are probably going to have to eat some of that guaranteed money if they're going to deal him in the offseason. But he needs to show right now that that he can be a number one receiver. No 100-yard games this season. Show me something, Justin Herbert. And I mean that more aspirational than anything else, just because we haven't seen him much this year. We're going to see him in back-to-back Sunday night games at the 49ers and then the game that was flexed into next Sunday night, the Chiefs at the L.A. Chargers. He hasn't been that phenomenal, towering, great figure. You know, it was Josh Allen, Patrick Holmes, and maybe Justin Herbert not far behind as the top three quarterbacks entering the year. Herbert's kind of faded, and whether it's because they're not using him properly or that rib injury has lingered and he just doesn't say anything about it, but I, I, I want to see what he can do. We get two straight standalone games to really figure out, Shereen, where Justin Herbert is and where he goes from here. And it's time for him, Mike, to step up. No playoff appearances and had the one Pro Bowl last year. It's time for that team to do what we all thought they would do this year and make the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. And we will see if they can get it done. They are five and three. They they are like a you look yeah. like as as just kind of sluggish like as it. they seem to be. It doesn't feel like five and three. And they're on track to make it to the playoffs. But they got two tough games coming up. 49ers. Chiefs, and we're getting to see both of them in prime time. If he plays like he did last year, Week 18 against the Raiders, they should be fun games. Enjoy all games this weekend. We'll see you Monday morning. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.